morning. Welcome back if you're joining us online. And if you are watching online, I just before we jump into the message, I just want to say hello to you and thank you uh, for worshiping with us. We like to encourage everybody that's watching online to come and worship with us in our physical gathering because I really believe that there's nothing like the physical gathering and we'd love to see you here. But church, can we welcome them? Let's applaud them. We're so glad that you're with us uh, this morning. If you brought your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 today. And just as a heads up, we're going to read the whole enchilada today, the whole chapter, and even touch a little bit of chapter 3. Uh, if you're just joining us, we started a brand new series last week called Culture Clash. And the reason why um, we're doing that and why we're looking to the book of Corinthians to go through this series is, one, the Corinthian church... Uh, and the, the city of Corinth was culturally, um, in a lot of ways, a lot like our culture. And I mean in terms of economics, the spirituality. Uh, but what I see happening in Corinth, I see happening in the Western church. And I mean by the Western churches, United States, Canada, uh, maybe a little bit uh, south of us, certainly Europe, Australia, just the Western developed world. And what we're seeing is we're starting to adopt Things that are not kingdom culture things. So what the world is creeping into the church. And the church is meant to be separate and to bear light and to be a kingdom example to the world around us. And I'm not saying, when I'm talking about a culture clash, is that we're warring with other people. So don't mishear my heart, which is why last week we said we're to do everything in love. And so but what I do mean is we're warring with principalities. Ephesians talks about we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, not people, but against principalities, demons, and the, these dark things. We're wrestling against um, spiritual ideologies that are creeping in, into the church, and it can corrupt us if we're not careful. But in Corinth, they had the same thing happening. And so if you weren't here last week, kind of the big takeaway last week was that to know how to think about Corinth is take the wealth of New York City, the prostitution and gambling of New Orleans or uh, Las Vegas, and the, the party culture of New Orleans, the politics of Washington, D.C., the technology, the technology of uh, Silicon Valley, and maybe sprinkle in there some spirituality of all the different um, new philosophies that we're embracing today, and you get Corinth. You, you kind of get what Corinth's about. And the Corinthian church was starting to adopt and to pull in and to bleed, culturally started bleeding in worldly things into the church. Well, Paul plants this church, and so he writes this book to correct it. And he does it in a very gentle way. He ebb and flows through all through 1 Corinthians. There's this ebb and flow of him speaking the best about what he sees in Corinth and gently correcting them because they're getting off topic. They're getting offline a little bit. So Paul is just doing this. So last week we talked about how, if how not to embrace the culture of this world. How do we avoid adapting to the world, because we're meant to be different. We're called out of darkness, is what Paul tells us. So if you have your Bibles, today we're going to start in, in chapter 2. We're going to read the whole thing in a little bit of chapter one, 3. Not all of 3, but a little bit. And the reason why is because in the original Greek, there were no chapter and verses. That was put there for referencing. So sometimes you have to read the other chapter to understand the full context of it. So last week he talked about, how, hey, there needs to be unity.
unity in the church, pursue that. You need to embrace God's way of thinking. That's what we talked about last week. We need to see Jesus as our source for right living. And then he talks about this right living in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you. I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Everyone say Spirit's power. I want you to notice as we read through chapter 2 how many times Paul uses the word Spirit. He, he's going to emphasize the Holy Spirit all through this chapter. So he says, he came demonstrating the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Verse 6, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age. Now watch it. Here you're going to see the culture clash. He's talking about the wisdom of this age. There's a clash happening between God's culture and the world's culture. But not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom. There's the other culture. We declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. And I just tell you that God's truth and God's word is timeless. It does not change. He said that his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. His word is timeless. I, the Lord, do not change. So he's not changing. And so he says it's, it's been that way since the time began. Verse 8, none of the rulers of this age understood it because there's a culture clash. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If they knew he was going to resurrect from the dead, if they knew that there, a brand new movement was going to be launched in, in 50 days, they wouldn't have done that. Because ultimately, it was a thing that brought Rome down. Part of it was the church for 300 years kept preaching the truth, and it was one of the reasons Rome collapsed. It took a while but if they'd known it, they wouldn't have done it. However, as it was written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him. These are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things they sorry deep things of God for who knows a person's thought except their own spirit within them and in the same way no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God we have what we have received is not here's the clash again the spirit of this world all things are spiritual there is a spirit to the world and it's little s which means it's not God's spirit Here's the class. But the Spirit, capital S, who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. 
but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. But such a person is not subject to merely human judgment. So he's not saying we judge people. He's saying we, what he's basically saying is when we have the Holy Spirit, we have discernment. We can make judgment about everything going on in the world because we have a spirit on the inside of us. And he says, who has known the mind of Christ or the mind of the Lord's as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. I, I wish I could just drill down on that for a minute, but that, that blows my mind that Christ's mind can be in me. Well, that's possible because of the Holy Spirit in our life. And the culture clash today is that. There's the world spirit and there's God's spirit. There's the way of the world and there's God's way. I know this, that every one of us is a disciple of something. None of us, none of us get away from this. Something is influencing us. Something is speaking to us. There is a way that we will follow and, and some of us say, well, that makes sense. I'll follow this way. But as a follower of Jesus, we have to choose his way above all others. Because it will never, never let us down. And never, God will never fail us. So he goes on to say in verse 1 of chapter 3, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit. Now, this is interesting. He starts to tell them that there are some who live by the Spirit, or have, some who live by the Spirit and Christians who don't. And this is that gentleness. He's trying to tell them, like, hey, there's a whole other way. You're living worldly. He says, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. So here's what he did. He said, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. Oh, so it's a loving rebuke. That Paul is giving them, but he's also teasing them or planting seeds of hope in their heart about the things of the Spirit. He's giving them an, ex, an expectation when he's talking about the power of God and the demonstration of God's power and the realities of what he's given us, that he's freely given us. He's saying all that first before, so he's enticing them. He's like, you should expect that, but you're still living worldly. Now, what Paul shows us is that people fall into three spiritual categories. And I won't spend a lot of time on this, but I do want to highlight them. Uh, the first spiritual category is someone who does not have the Holy Spirit in them. They're not a Christian. What did he say in verse 14? It says, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Lord, but considers them foolish. So this is what biblical scholars call an unregenerative heart. You're devoid of the Spirit of God. You have no appreciation for the gospel. You may even laugh, out, laugh about it. It does sound foolish to you. you. You maybe feel like it's a myth, something a little bit like Santa Claus. And uh, so it, you're not a Christian. You, but he says you can't actually understand spiritual realities. It's a culture clash. And the person that does not have the Holy Spirit, I like to think of it as someone that's spiritually tone deaf. You know, someone who is tone deaf cannot appreciate the sounds of an orchestra. They can't tell if someone's singing good or off key. 
Like, man, that was such a beautiful voice. I'm like, really? Yeah. Like, and, and the best example I see this was back in the old days of American Idol when Simon was still on there. God bless Simon. He, he was a strong personality. But Simon was a producer. He was a musical genius. He, like, he could tell if someone was good. And yet, yeah, he always had attitude, didn't he? Like, he'd be like rolling his eyes and some of it every once in a while and in the, in the, in the, at the start of every season when they're going through the different people trying out they always put a tone deaf person on there god bless their heart and but simon never said that to them he just hit them smack upside the head with the truth and he and he was like that is awful like how like he would just tell them that as often i would always be embarrassed like, you know it's bad you're embarrassed for them aren't you you're watching them like why is this guy singing but he thinks or she thinks she's amazing and then they kind of push back on simon like, they get irritated that simon is basically you're spiritually tone deaf like stop singing <laughs> just stop it and they're like what no my whole family thinks I'm amazing I know that I'm good and they're giving you know Simon all this attitude but let me just tell you something Simon knows something you don't he has a gift of tone in him he's produced records that has sold millions he knows what he's talking about but to the person that was tone deaf Simon was a fool and there are people who hear the message of Jesus and it sounds like, this just sounds foolish. And they think, I'll figure it out my own way. I got my own thing. I know what I'm doing. The second one, and this is the category we want to strive to be in, is, is people who are filled with the Holy Spirit and you have spiritual maturity. And he said this in, in verse 6. He says, among the mature, people who live by the Spirit. So there are spiritually mature people they're following the leading of the holy spirit and if someone without the spirit is unregenerative then someone with the spirit is regenerated they have the life of god on the inside of them so this week when the storm came through on wednesday uh, we lost our power and still today we have no power so think about uh being uh living in a home with no lights this is what it would be like without having the Holy Spirit in your life. You have a home. Paul actually tells us that our body is like a, a spirit, it's like a spiritual tent, a physical tent that houses our Holy Spirit. But without God's Spirit in us, you're unregenerative, you're dead on the inside. There's no lights on. So nothing that is said doesn't make sense because you're in the dark. Thank God we have a generator. So in, the, in our barn, we have, you know, a little plug-in thing. You plug it in, it, it back feeds in, and boom, and you pull out, you, you know, you start the generator and all this, and you go down to the basement. I start flipping on all the fuses, and I'm going down and getting all the fuses back on, and you hear, you know, the microwave beeping upstairs. I hear the, the, the dehumidifier in the basement go, I hear the, the, the uh, air conditioner upstairs go, like I can hear all of these things are starting to click on. It's like the house is coming alive. And you're like, yes, we got power. I felt like I, uh, Frankenstein. He's alive. He's alive. And, uh, and like the house is living again. And we have electricity. We can flush the toilet. We'll have hot water. It's amazing when the lights come on. This is what it's like when you decide to follow Jesus. He lights up your world. He regenerates your heart. And then we choose to follow him and we grow spiritually. All the lights are on in every room. And then there's a third category Paul talks about. And this is where the Corinths were, where the Corinthians were. Number three is this. Uh, 
the third category is someone who does have the Holy Spirit. They made a decision to follow Jesus, but he said, I couldn't really teach you like the mature because you're still living worldly. You're, you've not figured out that there's a cultural class and you're trying to blend that in. You have the Holy Spirit, but you're living worldly. Now, my neighbor across the street, he has a generator, but he never, uh, he has not yet hooked up the box that back feeds into the house. So the way he's powering his house is he's just running extension cords into like the refrigerator. I need power here because he doesn't have a back feed. The house is not lit up. The generator's there, but he doesn't have the whole house powered. And some of us were in this category. We're like, you know, there's a crisis in our life and we run to Jesus and you plug it in just for that one moment. But really, God wants to light up every room. He wants to light up every room in your soul, your, your marriage, your finances, like everything, your work environment, what you're studying, what you're striving to be, what you think about God. Every, he wants to reveal the lies you're believing and set you free. He wants to light up every room in your house, but you're not spiritually mature yet. And when we live worldly, it actually stunts our growth. You can only go to God because you're not, you've not yet given him full access to your whole life. You believe, but you've not surrendered. These are the three spiritual categories. And Paul tells about these powerful, credible truths of the Holy Spirit um, so that the people can, so that the Corinthians can, he's wanting them to expect something different. He's telling them, I want you to be mature. And here are some things that will produce in you if you become a mature follower of Jesus. If you stop embracing the world's way and you start embracing God's way. So I want to give you three before we close in prayer. Just Quickly, three truths about the Holy Spirit. Three things at least. There's more. As we go through Corinthians, we're going to talk a lot more about the Holy Spirit in weeks to come. So today will just be a teaser. But we want, as a church, we want you, we want you to expect that to reach out and grow in faith and grow in the Holy Spirit and the things of the Spirit. And the first one is this, that you can expect from Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit actually does empower our life. And activates our faith. It is like we're spiritually dead. We say the prayer and then God boom, starts up and our whole life lights up. That takes the power of the Holy Spirit. He said in verse 4 and 5 that his preaching was demonstrating the Spirit's power. And then he tells them why. So that faith might, not, might rest on God's power. In other words, he's saying, look, um, it's not intellect, guys. Because that's what he said. I didn't come with a really persuasive or, and look, I know I'm not the smartest guy in the room. But this thing that Paul says, I literally pray over my, my heart and my life and my ministry. Lord, I, I know that I might not be a, a, a theological scholar yet. I, I'm, a, I'm a student of scriptures, but I know that there's others that has things figured out that are way deeper thinkers than me. But I pray this, that I would demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit every time I step in the pulpit. Because this is because it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to live out our Christian faith. To empower you to make the right decisions. That takes the power of the Holy Spirit to lay down that behavior. It, it, he's not talking about intellect. The power of the Holy Spirit is not knowledge of Scripture. We need that, but it's both. That's why scriptures talk about they have a form of godliness. That's knowledge. I figured out the things about God, but deny the power. 
So it's, it's not enough to have intellect. Or, and it's not bad, but our faith is not just intellectual. It's not just knowledge-based. It's reliance on the Holy Spirit. There is power to live out your faith. So expect this. As a follower of Jesus, you can expect that Jesus wants to empower your life. Well, empower us to what? Second point. Number two is the Holy Spirit leads us into freedom. He said in verse 12, we have received the Spirit that we may understand what God has freely given us. The 30,000 foot view is he's given you life and it's free. Um, There is a heaven, there is a hell. There is a place we will spend eternity. And he freely gives us that if we choose to follow him, if we choose to become a disciple of Jesus. And he will lead us into freedom. But it's much more than going to heaven. There's something on this side of eternity. You have this power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, and that power is for you to live free today on this side of heaven. Paul said this in Galatians, I think it's 5.1. It was for freedom that Christ has set you free. Now, if we're going to talk about freedom, we need to have a good definition of it. Because when we say freedom, I'm sure if I was to ask what's freedom, there would be all kinds of answers. So we may have the wrong understanding of it. And I'm going to give you the biblical understanding. But most of us think of freedom as the absence of something. Maybe a bad habit. Maybe bad thoughts. Or you, If I could just stop thinking this way, then I'll be free. If I could just quit smoking or quit getting angry at my kids or I always feel like I'm frustrated. I can't wait for, you know, when I, when I finally lose this amount of weight, when I get to this point, then I'm going to be a free person. And some of us may even think, even in terms of like a prison, like some, are, you go to prison and you think, if I could get outside of these four walls, I can't wait to the day that I'm done serving my time, then I will be free. However, you can get out of prison and still be spiritually bound. Freedom is not defined by the absence of something. You know, if, if, if I didn't have these boundaries around my life, I'd be free. If I didn't have to, you know, if my boss just knew this, or if my budget was this, then, you know, if I didn't have these boundaries, these restraints, I would be a free person. Freedom is not defined as the absence of something, but the presence of someone. 2 Corinthians, so same church. She's writing to the same place, and we're not going to go through 2 Corinthians or we'll be in that book all year. So, But he does say in 2 Corinthians this. Now, let me read this. I don't want to mess this up. Now the, now the Lord is the Spirit. So it's talking about Jesus. And where Jesus is, where the Spirit of the Lord is, that's freedom. There's Jesus actually gives a definition of it as well. So one is the presence of Jesus. But Jesus said this uh, in, in the book of John. He said, it's the truth that you know that will what? Set you free. Well, if scriptures say there's a truth that will set us free, then the opposite of that is there's a lie that keeps us in bondage. And the Holy Spirit is a power in our life if we want it. And he talks about the mature and the immature. You've you got to want this. That's why I'm saying church have an expectation of deeper things for God. Because if you do, you will start gaining freedom. Or we're going we're gonna to live in the third category where 
You're still an infant. You're still living like the world. You're, you're still living this way, but God wants to bring freedom to your life. So number one is the Holy Spirit will empower your life and inactivate your faith. That's how it starts. But he wants to grow you, and he wants to bring you to a place of freedom. And the third one is this. Holy Spirit guides us. He said in verse 10, these are the things revealed to us by His Spirit. The Holy Spirit guides you. So if you're believing a lie, you need the Holy Spirit to reveal that lie to you. I can, I can give some general lies that might resonate with some of us. Some of you believe the lie you've gone too far and God could never love you. And you need the Holy Spirit to tell you and reveal to you that's not true. No one is too far gone that God's love can't reach them. Some of you, you believe you're forgiven, but you feel unworthy. The difference between guilt and shame is this. Guilt is it says I've done something wrong, and we should feel guilty and correct that if we can. Shame says... And unworthiness says, there's something wrong with me. Something's wrong with me. That's a lie. You're created in the image of God. And it takes the Holy Spirit to guide us into these truths. It's a truth that you know that will set you free. It's a truth that you grasp and you understand. And, and Jesus, when he says that, he's not talking about intellectual truth. He's talking about truth you need to know about your life. That will bring freedom to you and the Holy Spirit will guide you. I wrote down a couple of things how he guides us. One, the Holy Spirit will give us insight to God's plans and thoughts and actions for our own life. The Holy Spirit is how we hear his voice. We can, we can have God's perspective on the issues of, of the day. He enables us to draw conclusions. And let me just say this. It's possible that God gives some believers uh, one conclusion that's going on in the world, and gives another conclusion to someone else. I mean, how can that be? There, there are some things that are they're staple, and we all must have this general conviction. Like, we all must value life. That's a general conviction of Christians. We all must value marriage. That's a general conviction of life. We all must value the Ten Commandments. Those are general convictions we must all value. But what about someone who wants to have a glass of wine? And I feel like the Holy Spirit is convicted. You know, someone says, the Holy Spirit is convicted me to never drink wine. That's a personal conviction. But it's not a general conviction everybody must have. So if you're someone who's bound by alcoholism, then perhaps the Holy Spirit would bring that conviction on you. Are you seeing the difference between a general conviction we all must have and then there is personal convictions? Well, that's what the Holy Spirit does. He literally personalizes our faith. And He leads us and He guides us. So He enables us to draw conclusions and He makes us why, gives us wisdom in difficult situations. John 16, 13 says, but... When he, the spirit of truth, the spirit, there it is, the Holy Spirit, comes, what's it say? He will what? Guide you. Now, this next part, <laughs> I just love the Bible. The Holy Spirit is going to give you truth. He's going to guide you into that truth. He will not speak on his own, so he's not going to mislead you. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you 
what is yet to come. Well, what am I going to do about this job? Or I'm thinking about this career change. I'm thinking about relocating. I'm thinking about, you know, making a shift in my life. Well, the Holy Spirit will guide you in that. Just so you know, like every, both service, it's the same points, but the message is always different. So anyone that's been in like both service, like, why'd you say something different? I just lean into the Holy Spirit, so I'm trying to process, like, do I share that story? Or, um, But I feel like I, I want to say something I didn't say first service, especially if you're contemplating a move or a, a, a different season that you're going into. Never move in big decisions in your life. Little decisions like, what am I going to eat for dinner? You don't need the Holy Spirit to do that. Your appetite will tell you. Like, right, there's just some common sense about our faith. I had one guy, like 20-some years ago when we were planting in Kalamazoo, this guy, this young man, he's younger than me, he's like, I pray every morning, like, what color socks I'm going to wear? I'm like, really? Like, I just pick a pair. I think God just loves me that much. He doesn't care what color I pick. Uh, you want to paint? You don't need the Holy Spirit's guidance on what color you're going to paint your house. But on major decisions, you need the Holy Spirit. Don't quit that job unless the Holy Spirit has told you to. And so when, when people, when you're wanting to make a shift in your life, like, and you need the guidance of the Lord, I, I, I will say this, because I feel like someone needs to hear this. Do not make a move if you've not heard the voice of the Lord on a major decision. You want the Spirit's guidance. If you have a sense of peace, you can move in the direction of peace. If there's confusion or there's not peace, that's, that's the sense of the Holy Spirit telling you to pause. And and often, I would get, I may get asked, and this happens often, like, I don't know, I'm confused about what the Lord, and I'll say, what's the last thing he said to you? And they'll share it and say, that's, do that. And if you're thinking about moving, and he's not said to make a move in your life, then you don't shift until he tells you. I didn't know I was going to pastor. I didn't know we were going to plant a church in Jackson, Michigan. I have a life plan planting a church was not on my life plan I had different plans for my life and on the major decisions I had an, enough counts godly people around my life to you know encourage me to pray about those decisions and so I would pray like we were going to move to Nashville Tennessee I wanted to go into the music business and the Lord said I just Never felt peace about it. We went and visited. We, we, you know, we went to Chamber of Commerce, got the packet. You know, we walked all over Nashville, drove around. Where could we live? We thought about things, and we just like, isn't that peace? It's the Holy Spirit. I need you to pause. I need you to pause on 1995. One year later, we're about ready to get divorced. 96, August of 96, we have a meltdown. And I'm ready to leave my wife. And I've done it. I like, I mean, now I had a mullet. Uh, my youngest son is bringing it back. He's in the back. Show him your mullet. Take your hat off. Let him see your mullet. Look at that. I want my mullet back. And they were teasing me about it yesterday at, at an event we were at. And I'm like, look, if I grew my mullet, I would be the creepy old guy that's going bald, still rocking the mullet. 
Well, when I decided to leave Jenny, see, I got to get some laughter because I'm getting serious. When I decided to leave, I thought no judge is going to respect someone with a mullet. So I cut my mullet. I didn't need the Holy Spirit's wisdom for that. That's just good sense. It's good common sense. No offense, Joey. Love yours. But dad can't rock it anymore. So I made a decision to leave. And I, Michael was our only child at the time. And Jenny was with her mom up north. And I had Mikey. And I moved out. And I'm sitting in a bedroom of this house. And I'm, I'm thinking, like, well, how, did my, like how does this happen? Because I, I didn't intend to get divorced. And, it, wow, we've only been married, like, three years. And it's already, like, falling apart. And I start praying. And, and it wasn't, like, a wise prayer, an eloquent prayer. It was just, like, what's up, Lord? And. I have a thought. Now, I didn't know it at the time, but this was God's voice. The Holy Spirit will speak to you in your thoughts. Peace will be the thing that guides you. And you'll have impressions. That's a better way. Impressions within your mind. And so I'm praying. I didn't even know Christian counseling was a thing. But I had this thought, and it's two thoughts. Go back to church. Get Christian counseling the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I was ready to make a major decision and walk away. Get a Christian counselor, go back to church. That week, we walked into the first service of Radiant Church, Kalamazoo, Michigan, and God healed us. You want the Holy Spirit. You don't want the world spirit. The world spirit will tell you, yeah, your marriage is rocky, leave it. Let him go. Get rid of that guy. And God may be saying, well, hang on, what if I got more? And I want to tell you, that prayer did not heal our marriage in that moment, did it? No. It still was rocky. We had a good decade of healing. But here we are. Church, don't miss this. Do not embrace the world's way. It's a misleading way. You need the Holy Spirit to guide your life. And that's what I love about this, this series we're going in. It's because there is a culture clash happening. And we can embrace the world's way. And it seems wise because of what we've gone through. But the Lord says, you know, I redeem things, right? You know, I restore things. That's what I want to do for you. But we have to expect that God does want to lead us. You have to expect it. And, it, and if he, he'll grow our faith, he'll, if we lean into him, we'll get there. I'm going to give you four things. I didn't get to share this last service. I'm just going to tell you how to. An intimate relationship with Christ is how this happens. So it's not just believing in Jesus. You've got to want it. You have to want him. He wants you. And he, and he wants to get you to good things more than you want to. So number one, spend time with God every day. Just make it a priority. Church is awesome. It is a part of the kingdom culture to be in the gathering of God's people. But make a priority of being with God every day. Ask Him. This is the big piece. Just ask. Just ask God for the Holy Spirit. He will give it to you. 
He says to the woman at the well, I love this story. He said, if you knew who was here, you would ask and I would give it. Jesus is in the room now. And when you're like me, ready to walk out on that relationship, quit that job, make that change, and you go in that bedroom by yourself and you close the door and you start asking, Jesus is right beside you, ready to whisper into your soul the truth that will bring you the freedom you need and lead you. Now, I'm not saying it's easy because it's not. Being a follower of Jesus is not, it's not the broad path. It's the narrow road. Just ask. And three, just pay attention to what the Holy Spirit is saying, what you're sensing, the impressions you're getting. If it brings confusion, then I would say wait on it. If you feel a pause, then pause. Peace will be the thing. You'll hear it and you're like, that feels right. That's, And then run it by another believer. Does this feel like God to you? And then the last one is obey it. I'm glad I listened to the Lord. When he said, go back to church. Get Christian I'm so glad I obeyed it. Because my flesh said, I hate this marriage. Why would I? I did. Like, I hate the arguing. I feel belittled. She feels belittled. I am not good at this. But I asked four things. Spend time with God every day. Ask Him to teach you to speak, to increase His presence. He will. Start paying attention to what you're sensing and obey it. If you do these four things, you will be put yourself in category two. The person who is living with the Holy Spirit and growing in maturity. We're going to close in prayer.